Good morning, everybody. Um, this morning's reading is from Genesis chapter 29, verses 13 to 30. And I'm reading from the New International Version. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, um, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The names of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as, an att as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bil Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. We're going to continue in our series in Genesis 12 to 50, so let me pray and we'll have a closer look at this passage. Father God, uh, we come before you this morning and open your word knowing that you are speaking to us through your word. Father, we know that your word is the double-edged sword of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, now as we consider uh, this deception and well, uh, events which really raise eyebrows about how this is even in the Bible, let alone what it's about. We pray, Lord, that you open our eyes and our hearts and, uh, and help us to see. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, apart from the Women's World Cup, uh, Australian soccer team Matildas, there is other news happening. 
and the other news which I'm sure you're aware of is the cost of living crisis, as we're calling it. Uh, every time you step foot in a supermarket, it appears that uh, the, the prices have risen. In fact, down at Woolworths at Emu Plains, I've noticed they've put electronic tagging in. I think it's because it's just too hard to keep changing all the tickets every day, so now you can just do it online and they can just raise it whenever they want without having to, anyone to know. Well, last Tuesday, I went down there and I picked up the same sauce bottle that I've been getting for, I don't know, six months, a year, that's always been $2. Well, now it's $3. 50%. Hey, what's a dollar? Hey, what's a dollar? We'll just increase it. I go down to the local servo every Sunday afternoon and buy two bottles of milk for the evening service. $6. It's a pretty good bargain. Now it's $7. Hey, we'll just put it up. 14% increase. That's hard enough. But when it becomes a bit deceptive, that's when it starts getting annoying. Now, I don't know if you've come across some of the deceptive practices, but let me tell you my experience. Uh, I'm going to refer to my notes because I've got some hard and fast uh, things to, 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 to let you know how deceptive this is. Uh, I, have a, I have a mind for figures, so I notice things. Now, my experience was, again, at Woolworths Emu Plains. Uh, that can go broad, live. Woolworths Emu Plains, uh, because it's already been lodged with the Fair Trading Office, so I might as well share it with you here. Um, it's a bigger 500-gram slices. You get 30 slices in there, and it's, this isn't about shrinkflation, don't worry. Uh, and every month or so, I have to buy a packet of these uh, uh, cheese because my boys like them. And on the 13th of June this year, I have the e-receipt to prove it because they demand that I can't get a paper receipt if I want my points. I bought a pack for $10.50. Okay, now, with the ticketing, and it's been like this for a long time, is a big red outline saying, prices lowered. And then they give you the date of when, what, and, and what the price was back then, so they can say prices lowered. Okay, fair enough. The price has been lowered. Now, that was the 13th of June. On the 18th of July, I went to buy some more. But all the stock was gone, and you know what it's like. There must be a big special on. So I look at the price. No, there's not a special on. It's now $12.50. And I'm like, that's a bit strange. Why is there no stock if you've just increased it 20%? Anyway, I go back on the 1st of August and the stock's all back there. And it's $11 with a big red ticketing saying prices lowered. It was $12.50 back on the 25th of July, 2023. So they want me to believe that they have lowered the price $1.50 when in fact they've increased the price by 50 cents. And they got rid of all the stock, put the price on there for one week, and then lowered it so they could have this big red thing going, prices lowered, so that I think that during uh, these increasing price crisis, they're actually lowering prices. See, that's deception. And this week I got so worked up when I was writing about it, that I lodged my complaint with the Office of Fair Trading and I said to them, I want you to <laughs> prosecute them for the $10 million fine and, uh, and I want, I'm going into David Goliath mode. That's it. I've had enough. 
So if you want to sign a petition, come and see me afterwards. Anyway, <laughs> see, I actually couldn't believe that they were allowed to be so deceptive. And I don't think they are allowed to be so deceptive. I do think we have laws around it. So let's see what happens. But deception is not isolated to Woolworths. We can't just blame Woolworths. We are all prone to deception. There is a reason the global cosmetic... Oh, there's my cheese. That's my proof. See? 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 You can see it says prices dropped. $11. That was from the other day. Anyway. See, deception's not isolated, though. There's a reason that the cosmetic industry is worth $262 billion US back in 2022, it helps us deceive others into thinking we look different to what we do. There's a reason our prime ministerial candidates appoint personal stylists, have makeovers and are seen with puppies leading up to the election. There is a reason my kids tell me they brush, that's not my kid by the way, they, my kids brush their teeth when they haven't. There is a reason that when I take them to the dentist, the dentist tells me, well, if you do brush your teeth, you'll look like this. So to get what we want in this dog-eat-dog world, we lie, we cheat, we steal our way to get there. It's fine, isn't it? We can deceive. We need to deceive into a, in people, so people will accept us and believe us and what we say. It's a fight for survival. Look after your own. We worship the rich, the powerful, the pretty. So we will do anything it takes to get there. So if you think you're outside the realm of deception, well, why do you think I grew the beard? That's not for this sermon. But all of you need a reason. See, it raises a question though. Because in our narrative this morning, we, come, we are confronted with deception upon, upon deception. We've seen Jacob and his deception, and now we're going to see a master deceiver deceiving the deceiver. It's quite remarkable how much deception has been going on. And this is the question we've got to ask ourselves when we come to a narrative like this. What is God doing while all this deceiving is taking place? What is he doing? And why? Why is it allowed to continue? Well, I'll give you a bit of context. Jacob's life, if you remember, of deception began in the womb. So as he came out, he was grasping the heel of Esau. And they called him Jacob because it literally means, and, and, and Nathan last week when he preached mentioned deceiver, it's more a supplanter, which means uh, someone who desires the power or the throne of someone else and puts and, and by physical means or, or, or whatever means, they supplant themselves onto the other person's throne. And we see this happen uh, in Jacob's uh, young adult life when Rebecca, his mum, helps him out and they, uh, they deceive, or he, he deceives uh, Esau out of his uh, birthright by selling him some stew. Uh, and then his mother helps him uh, to deceive Isaac in order to gain. Esau's blessing and in that way he has supplanted himself into the place of Esau just as he was when he was grasping his heel as he came out of the womb and along the way God affirmed to Jacob uh, 
sorry, and and through this deception, uh, Esau became quite angry, <laughs> and he wanted to kill him. And so what happened is that I, uh, Rebecca, then deceived Isaac into thinking she wanted to send Jacob away in order to get a wife at Haran with her brother uh, Laban, uh, when in fact she was just trying to protect him uh, from uh, from from Esau. She said, stay with him a few days and then come back again. And along the way, we saw last week, God affirmed to Jacob the promises he had given to Abraham and Isaac to, make him a land, uh, to give him uh, a people, a great nation, uh, to give him land and to be a blessing to the nations. And so we saw that this blessing wasn't just from Isaac, but it was passed down from God through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And now Jacob is the one, the deceiver is the one that God is going to fulfill uh, his purposes through. Well, at the beginning of chapter 29, Jacob continues on the journey. He comes to a well uh, amongst the eastern peoples. They're just telling us where he's going. Uh, amongst uh, a well and there was some shepherds there already with their flocks. Uh, and they're waiting for others to come because they have to roll away a big stone in order to water the flock. So they did all that together. So they were waiting. And he says, oh, where are you from? They say, Haran. He goes, oh, how is, um, do, you know, do you know Laban? Yeah, we know him. How is he? Oh, he's well. And just as they're having this conversation, who comes up? Rebecca. And Re no, not Rebecca. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> but thank you for helping me out. <laughs> Rachel comes along. Uh, very, very similar to how Rebecca came along to Isaac, but Rachel comes along and we're told she's a shepherd, she's got her flocks. So uh, Jacob rolls away the stone, waters her flocks, tells her uh, uh, who he is, and uh, she runs back, tells Laban uh, the news, and, uh, and he comes running out and, and uh, welcomes uh, him into his home. And then we're told this uh, in verses 14 and 15. We're told after Jacob had stayed with him, that's Laban, for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, in the... Uh, in the words of one of my uh, one of the guys who comes to my young adults uh, young men's group on Tuesday night, he may or may not be here. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Uh, things are getting juicy now. This is where things get juicy. They love saying that. So this is where this is where it all gets quite interesting. Um, here you've got uh, a generous offer from from Laban. Name your wages. What a great guy. Isn't he lovely? Name your wages. You shouldn't work for me for nothing. Finally, someone with a moral compass has entered. But after a, a month of work and living together and getting to know each other, I'm pretty sure that Laban's seen that Jacob is a little more fond of Rachel than just being her cousin or whatever it might be. Uh, so I'm not sure this is as generous as it seems. I think Laban sees an opportunity here. And I think the key is back in verse 13. Notice in verse 13, we're told that when uh, Jacob comes to Laban, 
we're told Jacob told him all these things. Now, we have to make a decision about what all these things are. Now, remember, this is written as a narrative on the whole, uh, the whole account of really Jacob, um, but Isaac's account, but we, we're focused on Jacob. And when it says all these things, I want you to think back. Uh, there's, there's this split in the household. You've got Isaac and Esau uh, pitted against Jacob and Rebekah. This is Rebekah's brother. She sent him to her brother. So Jacob is a mummy's boy. He's sitting there. He trusts his mum. His mum goes, hey, let's go to my brother. He trusts her brother. And I think he has told Laban everything. The birthright, the blessing, how all this has come about, why he's there. And I think Laban's gone, "Mm, you're going to inherit my sister's husband's estate. But not only that, Jacob had fallen in love with Rachel. And so I think Laban has thought, okay, here's an opportunity for me. But the problem is, and which should surprise us, that they sent him there to find a wife, remember? But he hasn't got a bridal price. He's actually got nothing with him. He hasn't come with anything, even though he's looking uh, for a wife. Well, we're then told Laban doesn't just have one daughter, but two daughters. Now, it's introduced there to raise the tension. There was an older daughter, so what's going to happen now? Now, Leah, which means wild cow, um, I don't know how relevant that is, I'm just telling you, that's what it means. Maybe just cow, but probably wild cow. So there it is. And the younger is Rachel, meaning you, not you, but as in a female sheep. Um, Very creative. A farmer has named them, obviously. And then we have in verse 17 this. Uh, Leah, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now, I think weak is probably a rough translation. Uh, I think it's a bit unfortunate for Leah because it sounds like she's gone blind, but I don't think that's actually the case. I think it means more soft or delicate. It probably means more that her eyes didn't sparkle. They didn't have that wonderful brightness. In the Middle East, they really valued this. Uh, in, in this region, they valued, in this time, they valued bright eyes as a sign of beauty. But Leah didn't have those bright, sparkling eyes. And then we're told that Rachel was beautiful uh, just in every way. And I think the point here is that the younger one outshone the older one. So perhaps Leah was going to struggle uh, to find a husband. Anyway, so uh, he names, so he's asked him whether, how much it's going to cost uh, for his wages. And uh, Jacob effectively says, Rachel is my answer. I want to work seven years for you and you will give me her as my wife. 
Now, that is a very generous offer. Even slaves were released after six years of service. So he's offering even more than what a slave would have to do. And then he's offering uh, a lot more money. Usually a very good bridal price, they think, was around 50 shekels. Uh, A wage was probably around one shekel a month. So we're talking about possibly 84 shekels. This is how much he loved this girl. Now, at this point, um, I think that, uh, that every man is hating on Jacob. Uh, he's showing a romantic side that none of us could possibly hold up to. And every woman is going, wow, what a lovely man. Deceptive, yeah, but hey, he's willing to work for seven years for the one he loves. We forgive him of that. But this is the man in front of us, and he's willing to work seven years. Now, remember, Jacob's mother sent him there until Esau calmed down and said, stay a few days. And what are we told here? He works for, uh, he works for seven years, it says in verse 20 but it felt like, or it seemed like, only a few days to him. Now, I want to just stop and pause and and just step back on the bigger narrative for a minute. Um, If you remember uh, his mother, when, when she was all being deceptive and whatever, and she sent him away for a few days. Now, she loved Jacob. Okay, loved him. And I want you to see here the impact this is going to have on her. I actually think this is a a punishment for her. He never goes back while she's alive. She was thinking, he'll go for a few days and then I'll get my Jacob back. But he never goes back. In fact, his heart is now with Rachel. He hasn't even thought about going back to his mum. And so you can see how, how terrible that would have been for his mother. She loved him and she wanted him to come back after a few days and she never saw him again. They didn't have mobile phones, that was it. He ne- she was just longing. I think the rest of her life was longing for him to just turn up again. But he never comes. And I think she would have died quite a broken-hearted woman, not really knowing uh, what was happening. And I think that's all playing out in the background here. But anyway, um, it will be seven years, but verse 20 uh, tells us that uh, it feels like a few days. So he's smitten, okay? He's absolutely smitten. Uh, He'd forgotten all about going home. And uh, suddenly, seven years has passed. And like it does in Genesis, in one verse, we are suddenly seven years later. And Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. (laughs) I'm sure there's a better translation. Give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. Now, just a bit of um, advice to any young blokes who are courting ladies. Uh, Don't go to their dads and say this. Um, That's just going to cause a lot of issues, okay? I'm not looking at anyone in particular. (laughs) But, you know, that's not good advice. Anyway... If there's one thing you have to admire about Jacob, it's his self-control. Seven years of working hard and seven years of waiting, but now he's ready. And the wedding feast takes place and the marriage is to be consummated 
but Laban has other plans. And back in verse 19, when Jacob offers to work for seven years for Rachel, I want you to notice Laban's response uh, in verse 19. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Now, I may be reading a little too much in there, but he doesn't actually say Rachel. He says her. Uh, And in the background, I think what he's got in his head is that the firstborn, yes, he needs to marry off first. Uh, And I think he was probably hoping that someone would come along during those seven years and that uh, Leah would marry someone. But she hasn't. And now we're at this day and the master deceiver brings about all his plan. He's about to deceive the deceiver. And verse 25 uh, says this. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Isn't it amazing when the tables are turned on deception? It's all like, oh, this is unfair, this is unfair. But in fact, he's been doing the same thing to his brother all his life. And now that he's at the other end of it, suddenly, oh, this is just too much, too much. See, he's been deceived by the master deceiver. And Laban has now demanded that he work another seven years for Rachel. He knows Jacob won't wait another seven years, though. And so he allows him to marry her uh, after the week of uh, the, week of the bridal uh, week. And then, uh, and then he marries uh, Rachel, but he's committed him to working another seven years uh, for him, for Rachel. Now, Laban hasn't just managed to get 14 years of labor out of, uh, out of, uh, out of Jacob, but he's actually, uh, in, he's actually managed to keep all his daughters with him. Any grandchildren that would be born would stay there for the first seven years. And so this is quite... Quite a deceptive practice, I think, in order to keep his family together, but also to bring uh, this opportunity of the inheritance that was to come from Isaac down to Jacob and build it into this big empire. I think Laban is being very, very strategic here, and he's being very, very deceptive. Now, none of us like to be deceived, yet all of us at some point will be deceived. It may be by Woolworths. It may be by someone in your workplace, by an employer. Could be when you bought a car. Might be when your promised returns on your investments. We see a lot of that. Or it might be a little closer to home. In our marriages. Our children. Your friends or even in the church. It's sad to say, but I think churches can be a great place of deception. We think that it's all about putting on this 
finery and this wonderful life on the outside so everyone thinks we're a good person. We deceive ourselves into believing that as long as we all meet a certain standard of good, we will be okay. We deceive ourselves into thinking others need forgiveness, but somehow we don't. We deceive the world into thinking church is a place to learn how to be good rather than a place to find forgiveness and hope and meet their God. But as all this deception is going on, the question, remember, we asked at the beginning is what is God doing while all this deception is taking place? Because I know and we've experienced in our own church, every church experiences it, that we are not perfect and there are deceivers amongst us at times and there are deception happening right across the world. And here we have in this passage deception by the very one and to the very one that God has granted his promises to work them out. Well, have a look at what God is doing. And we'll look more at this next week, but God is working his purposes out even in the midst of all this deception. Now remember, the unwanted one, the unloved one, is Leah. I just want you to look at verse 31. We're not going to go any further. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. See, there's something in the background. God is still working his purposes out. And in next week, we'll see that through all this deception, through Jacob being sent uh, over to Laban, we're going to end up with 12 tribes of Israel. See, this is all God's working. He's not enabling deception. No, that's on us. That's the human sinful nature at work. But that doesn't stop... We cannot stop God from working his purposes out. He will use his people even when we are doing things we shouldn't. He will punish absolutely, as I think he's done to Rebecca here, but all of that is happening as his providence, as he provides and as he ensures and as he enables. He's the God who knows our hearts. He didn't say, oh, Jacob's going to be the perfect person, I'm going to use him. He goes, despite humanity, I am going to forge a way in order for my promises to be fulfilled. See, in all this deception, God is providing and where's all this leading? Well, we cannot forget that all these promises have their fulfillment when one of the greatest deceptions ever happened. Jesus endured some of the great deception that you will ever come across. The deception of the Israelite leaders as they falsely accused him. The deception of Judas Iscariot one of his own 12 who betrayed Jesus and handed him over for some silver. The deception of the rock on which he builds his church, Peter, as he denies that he even knows the man three times as the rooster crows. 
the deception of all the disciples who fled him in his greatest hour of need, as we're told in Matthew. Everyone deserted him. And what was God doing in all this deceiving? What was taking place? Well, he was working his purposes out. See, while the deceptive practices of humanity seek to accomplish one thing, usually a very selfish thing, God turns it completely upside down to trump us to accomplish his purposes. And as Jesus was deceived so that he could be killed to stop him creating a following, God in his providence was providing the way for the very deceivers to be forgiven of their sin, to be set free from the punishment that came with that sin, and not just to be forgiven, but to be brought in and adopted as children. See, God the Son, about whom Peter says in his first letter, Chapter 2, verse 22 to 24, he says this, He, Jesus, committed no sin. He's quoting Isaiah the prophet here. He committed no sin and no deceit, no deception was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He who had no deception bore the punishment for our deception so that in him we can be forgiven and set free. See, while we deceive, God still provides. Think that through. Even as we are rebelling against him, even as we are turning our face away from him, even as they are nailing his own son on the cross, because of his great love for us, God, in his mercy, provides our salvation. So do we go on deceiving? Of course not. But you see, sometimes I think we look at the world and we look at the church and we look at everything that's going on and I hear it in the despair that people have at times. I often hear it in prayers Lord, all I see around me is, it might be deception, it might be other things. And we think, I'm not sure anymore. Are you even here? Are you even working your purposes out? Well, the answer is yes. Don't be despaired. Continue to walk the path of faith. And when you are confronted with your own deceit, make sure you fall at the cross. And if you are in a, in a position where you are deceiving someone, stop. You don't need to deceive anymore. Everything you have is right here. 
God has given you all that you need. And we're told that you have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, being kept in heaven for you. You don't need to deceive in order to build your life here. We walk in integrity. We walk in rightness. We walk in holiness as we've sung today. Can we do that perfectly? Of course not. But through the Holy Spirit, we are able to cast off the sinful nature and put on uh, the spiritual nature. You see, deception will always be here. It will be in the church. It will be in our lives. I'll continue to put my makeup on, whatever it is. I don't wear makeup. I'll wear beards. I'll take them off. I'll try to figure out if people like the grey hair, don't like the grey hair. Does it make me look smarter? Maybe not. It's there. I'm not saying walk around without makeup and, 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 and dazzle the world with your, with your unmade-up beauty. But what I'm saying is you have to keep a check on your heart. Okay? And even when you see it all around you, don't give up hope. God is working his purposes out. And if you ever, ever doubt that, just look at the deception that led to the cross and you will see that there is a day where all this will be made plain and all this will be uh, made, made, made clear. Those who are deceiving will be brought to justice and those who are in Christ, well, we will praise God for the forgiveness that we've received for our own deception. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we come to the Bible and in all its warts and all its, all its realities, Lord, uh, Father, sometimes we read these passages and we just think, wow, uh, is this really on what you've built, your promises and your truth? And, but Father, as we dig deeper, we realise that this is the human fallen condition. But despite this, Lord, we thank you that you have not given up on us that you have continued to uphold us, that nothing can separate your love from us that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, neither past nor present nor future, Father, thank you that you have made secure all these promises by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for any of us who... Uh, living lives where there is deceptive practices in our work, in our marriages, whatever it might be, Lord. I pray that you give us the courage to hand all that over to you and, and to repent and confess and to stop. And for those of us who have been victims of other people's deceit, Lord, I pray that they hand that all over to you, knowing that you say the vengeance is mine and give them the courage to wait on you for justice, Lord. And Father, we do pray that you intervene where there is a deceit and where there is uh, issues, particularly in your church, Lord. We pray that you make them clear, you, you bring them to light, and that you, uh, particularly for our church, Lord, that you help us to walk a healthy path, a path which brings you honour, a path which brings you glory, and a path which... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit reign. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.